You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Do you have a dorsal fin? If you do, you might have some insight on the Dolphins that we're looking for because we got a Dolphins-Bengals game tonight. That's deep cut, Ace Ventura fans. Maybe a little dated for y'all. Finkel and Einhorn will be there. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, thank you. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I've moved on from Italian puns. I'm Roman into a new area. <laughs> ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits in one of the country's top workplaces? Come join their growing team. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Joining me now to talk the first half of tonight's matchup, it's ESPN Dolphins reporter Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel, we got a lot of conversation after last weekend about Tua and just what was hurt. His ankle, his back, was it concussion protocol? Have you noticed in the way that they've treated him in the time since whether there's been an indication of what truly happened? Um, look, it, they're saying back, and I haven't gotten any indication that they are lying or that they do not believe that uh, he did enter the locker room on Sunday with his back heavily wrapped. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, I first, I feel like if it wasn't just a back injury, if it was a, a concussion, you can get your quarterback out of doing media for an injury after a game. Matt Jones had to go, you know, took or went and got x-rays done after the Dolphins and the Patriots played, and he did not speak to the media. All they had to do is say, Two is not available today. He's being evaluated his back. Yet X, Y, Z. Like if he was a concussion, you're not going to make him speak to the media. So I, right. I am, I am choosing to believe what the Dolphins mm-hmm. have told us. I am okay. choosing to believe that uh, you know somebody who I do respect in Mike McDaniel would not blatantly lie to our face like that and would not blatantly endanger one of his players like that. Right. Um, that's good I, news I, for I the would, Dolphins, I would say that. but there's still... Is, when you look at the film, it's really hard to believe it. Yeah, It's really hard to believe it, but I can only go with what we're told here, and they have told us back from about the fourth quarter of Sunday's game up until this exact minute. It's good news for him if it, and good news for the team, obviously still dealing with the back and the ankle stuff as we head into this matchup. This is a 3-0 and Dolphins team. They are not favored in this matchup with the Bengals. Bengals are at home. But a one and two team. Do you think they're being disrespected there? No, I think it's kind of par for the course, right? Uh, Thursday night, uh, home team is generally going to going to be favored here, uh, and home teams usually get what three points, anyways, uh, when it's that close. It, it is obviously a short week. It's an emotional and stressful week coming out of South Florida, and they just got out of a four quarter brawl on the surface of the sun, as I, I just read describing <laughs> the Bills game on Sunday. You know, temperatures in the 90 degrees. They played 90 plays. It is the most mm. – it's the highest number of plays a defense has ever been on the field for in a game that didn't include overtime. It's not insignificant. The injury list was about as long as the CBS receipt. So I, I'm not shocked that they are the underdog here. It would be a gutty win if they're able to pull this off, it would be a defining win if they're able to pull this off. And if you look at their next seven weeks, it'll be a win that could set them up for the number one seed in the AFC. Wow. Yeah, it's a big matchup tonight. Marcel Louis Jacques, our ESPN Dolphins reporters with us. You can follow him at Marcel underscore LJ. 
Talk about Mike McDaniel. This is a guy that, you know, obviously won over the media with some fun press conferences and some interesting approaches to things. But how has he won over the team and had them out there undefeated so far? I think it's trust. Uh, you know, he's told these guys, like, I, I really don't care what you do as long as you come to work and you trust in me and you trust in your coaches and you trust in the system that we're putting in place here. Uh, the, that tr- He's not an intimidating guy. I, I mean, respectfully, he's probably 5'9", maybe 140 pounds, give or take. He is not getting in Raekwon Davis's face and physically intimidating him. So that that style of coaching is never going to work for him. He's a guy who, when if you mess up, he's going to point out an example of times where you got it right and say, I know you're capable of this. This is what I need you to do. You know what you did wrong, but I believe that you're better than that. He's that kind. He's positive reinforcement. He is a guy who is going to tell his players and let his players know with his actions and his words that he supports them, that he has their back. And most importantly, that he knows how to put them in a position to succeed. A quote I heard earlier earlier in his tenure was, uh, you know, I I want to help you put food on the table for your family. Because doing so puts food on the table for my family. Mm -hmm. So we're all in this big (laughs) smorgasbord together. And I, I think it's worked wonders. He loves and relishes adversity. And the fact that they faced some pretty heavy adversity over the past two weeks and came out with a win, I think is going a long way. The fact that they got three wins this season, really kind of all in different ways, is going a long way for this team's confidence. They weren't supposed to be clicking like this so early in the season. I would expect this out of them in maybe week seven. But uh, I think they're ahead of schedule. And I don't really, I really don't think they're done yet. Especially, like I said, if they can pull out a win tonight, nobody saw them going four and zero in this first four stretch. At least not outside of Miami. All right, Marcel, we've got thirty seconds or less. Give me an X factor for tonight. If this player plays well or this phase does this, then the Dolphins get the win. The Dolphins pass rush. They blitz at the sixth highest rate in the NFL, but they're getting home at the ninth worst rate in the NFL. On the other side, the Bengals' offensive line has allowed sacks on 10% of Joe Burrow's dropbacks. Something's got to give. So if the (laughs) Dolphins, if if their blitz is able to get home against a susceptible opponent and they're able to force Joe Burrow into decisions before he's comfortable making them, and you got ball hawks like Javon Holland and Xavier Howard on the other side, that could be the difference maker for Miami. I'm going with the edge rush or the pass rush here of the Miami Dolphins. Awesome stuff, Marcel. Enjoy the game. And if you get any chili out in Cincy, make sure to let us know uh, how it is and which which kind you got. Getting us set for the Bengals' half of tonight's Thursday night football matchup. It's Ben Baby. Ben, how much should we believe in what we saw from the Bengals last weekend? And how much should we say, well, it was the Jets? Yeah, you know, that's the interesting dilemma here because obviously you do take the Jets into account. But when you look at how the Bengals got in rhythm, uh, I, I think some of that will be replicable. It's, it's interesting you talk to guys and the sense of urgency they created throughout the week leading up to that game after two lackluster performances. They feel like that's something that can carry over into this uh, week four and potentially the rest of the season. I think when you look at the way Joe Burrow played, how decisive he was in the pocket, how he looked like classic Joe Burrow, to quote Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, Those are reasons to believe that maybe it was more than just the Bengals playing the Jets. But we'll get a better sense of that tonight when the Bengals host Miami in this big uh, game on Thursday Night Football. 
The Bengals as an organization have tried to fix the offensive line this offseason. It hasn't looked great. What fixes it now? You know, I, I think that the, the I got to give them a little bit of credit for at least knowing that it needed an overhaul. They brought in three new veterans and, and a rookie to come in and, and really overhaul that offensive line. Like you said, at first, it still did not look all that great. I also think, you know, to be quite honest, Joe Burrow played a little bit of a role in the amount of sacks he took. When you look at our metrics, our pass block win rate numbers and the pressure numbers, they're a little bit disproportionate to how much he was sacked in the first two weeks. And last week, when he looked a little bit better and more comfortable in the pocket, he was only sacked twice. It also, you know, I think it's worth noting that the Bengals were playing with the lead and were able to run the ball a little bit more and weren't in obvious passing downs. I think all of that plays a role. But that being said, the offensive line still – I think needs to improve. You're looking at guys like Lyle Collins, who, who you know, I've been dealing with some back issues and potentially some old age. They're going to need to play better, uh, I, I believe. And, and, you know, you want Burrow to feel comfortable in the pocket. That's something after two games. You know, they felt like they weren't getting Burrow that, that, that level that he needs to feel good back there. So we'll see if that continues to, to get better, if that unit can build some chemistry uh, starting with this game against Miami. Ben Baby is with us. You can follow him at Ben underscore Baby, our ESPN Bengals reporter ahead of Bengals Dolphins tonight. What's the mood around this Bengals team? Because obviously a rough start to the season. They get that win. They're favored at home here against the 3-0 Dolphins. Uh, but does it feel like they consider themselves on the right track or still a little trepidation about you know what this season might look like going forward? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Even after the first two losses, they, they still, you know, spoke like a team that had a ton of confidence. And, and when you ask Zach Taylor, you know, going into that game against the Jets, he said that, you know, there's just a sense of urgency. I'm not telling these guys anything different. We still feel like we're a very good team. We, we still have a lot of confidence. And that manifests itself against New York. So even though they're going against a Miami team that is undefeated, um, I do think that that is – something that the, uh, you know, I think they relish the fact that they're getting a good team and they feel like they're still, you know, the, the reigning AFC champions. They have that swagger about them. And, and I think that they're excited for this challenge on Thursday night. You tweeted... Hey, quick, Ben, was that you honking or getting honked at? It sounded like you. Uh, uh, that was me. I mean, you know, that was a good New York honk, you know, when you got yeah, a guy that's it's nice. It was a little started. double beep. That's all that it was, was like, hey. It's a friendly city honk, you know? Yeah, yeah, good, okay. I, I, look, I'm a fan of the honk. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you tweeted out a couple hours ago, the atmosphere and buzz around tonight's game, white helmets, white out, ring of honor inductions, is a testament to the work the Bengals front office has done the last two years. Expand on that. What have they done and why is it working? Yeah, you know, they, the Bengals, they, they hired Elizabeth Blackburn, who's Mike Brown's granddaughter, and, and her sister Carolyn also now with the organization. And, and there was a real shift, you know, really within the last couple of years to engage the fan base. They, they changed the uniforms. They introduced the Ring of Honor, which was something that the fan base had wanted for a very long time. And, and when you look at this, yes, it is a, a primetime game. Yes, the team is good. But building all the other aesthetics around it, really turning the game into an event, when you look at how sports leagues, even at the college level, how big-time you know, sports operations market themselves and, and, and market their events, what you're seeing right now in Cincinnati is what it looks like in other places around the country. And, and the buzz in Cincinnati has been you know, on another level, knowing that they were going to have these alternate helmets, that it was going to be the Ring of Honor inductions. You know, look, you know, driving into the stadium, you see a bunch of folks wearing white. The tailgates are packed. 
And even when the team was good at times, it hasn't always looked like this. I think this was a fan base that really wanted to engage again with, with the franchise and, and felt a little disenchanted. And after the playoff run, that changed. But stuff like this shows that there is another level that goes into marketing and making sure that, you know, you are building, you know, premier events and you definitely get the feel around this game here tonight. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. We're excited for the matchup. Thanks for the insight, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank y'all for having me. Good football, good uniform matchup. Ooh, chef's kiss looks nice. It's Spain and Kiss. Spain and Kiss? Woo! Gosh darn it. That's a new one. Fats, oh. Fitz, Kiss, Fritz. Coming up, hear why one NBA coach says it's perfectly fine if one of his stars never shoots the basketball. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Uh, We are underway for Thursday Night Football, and the most important thing you need to know about this game is that you should turn it on just to see how fire the unis are. Oh, it's beautiful. The Bengals in the all-whites, oh... It the is. only thing I'll say is I like a high sock, even when you're doing the whiteout or you're doing like the color rush where it's all one. I just, I like a high sock, particularly for the Bengals, because that stripe down the side makes them look like 80s heavy metal leggings instead of football pants. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of leggings, but I am a huge fan of getting high socks. <laughs> so getting high socks uh, anytime. Thank you so much. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. Uh, let's, oh we got so much to get to and I'm trying not to get fired. So let's do that, you know, family friendly. Quickies! Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Oh, you know what we do. We cover a bunch of different stories and we do it over some slightly uncomfortably sensual music. And that starts with Ohio State, uh, Ohio State Highway Patrol, I should say. Miles Garrett, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all, uh, I'm all up on my feels here. Miles yeah. Garrett, we you know got the tingles is, yeah, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Like we, when you used to climb the ropes in gym class. <laughs> <laughs> we know that Miles Garrett is is healthy and safe. That's the most important thing. But we're now getting more information about his crash. And when I first saw this headline, Sarah, I kind of freaked because it said Ohio State Highway Patrol issues citation to Garrett says Brown Star drove at a, quote, unsafe speed before his crash. Now, obviously unsafe. Uh, I thought like we were going to get some 140 miles an hour. Right. Drag racing. He was driving 65 on a road with the 45 mile an hour speed limit. Not to say that that isn't unsafe. Just I, I would have to look in the mirror a little bit before I yelled too much about that level of speeding. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about that. That would probably be me on an everyday basis, and it's something I need to work on. Driving is not a race. Unfortunately, I consider everything a competition, so I need to I need to work on it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining Sarah he... <laughs> beats you to the red light and turns over yeah. and you get double birds and it's, she's just yeah, going Yeah, it's not great. It, I'm working on it. Um, I was <laughs> glad to see that it was... You know, like you said, still illegal, still unsafe. But um, imagine how much worse it might have been. Allegedly, he was swerving for an animal and it was a wet road if if he had been truly racing instead of just going a little bit over the speed limit. So thankfully, they were both okay, both he and his uh, passenger. Uh, Important note here, the Browns have not ruled Garrett out from playing Sunday against the Falcons. Let's get to our next story. Quickies. And this comes from Steve Nash because we all obsess over whether or not Ben Simmons is shooting the ball well. Well, Steve Nash gave us a little or reminder. At all. Or, yeah, at all. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, Steve Nash told us what's important to him when he said this. I'm just not one of those people that thinks Ben has to shoot the ball. 
Yeah, he's a special, special player without taking any jump shots. There's, all, all, there's other solutions uh, for that. It's so many things he brings to the table and complements our group. It's just not, that's just not important. It's not, it's not what he brings to the table for us. I don't need him to shoot it. I'm not asking him to shoot it. If he's open and wants to shoot it, I'm not going to yank him out of the game. Hmm. It makes this sense. Is, yeah, it's interesting. I'm sort of torn on it because everybody is saying the right things as this relationship is starting, right? Uh, that's to be expected. Kyrie, Nash, Katie, everyone's saying the right things. And the talent is there at the core of Ben Simmons. The problem is finding a way to get it out on the court and getting past the mental blocks. And if just saying, I don't need him to shoot it, I'm not asking him to shoot it, is the best way Steve Nash believes to get the best out of him, okay. Um, I Maybe it's too far to one extreme, though. I think you could say all the things about his playmaking and his point guard skills and you know his screens and the way he sets other teammates up without having to go so far as to say, I don't care if he never shoots it, right? I think focusing on other strengths is the way to do it. This extreme feels like too much of an excuse or an acceptance of a massive hole in his game and a refusal to shoot even in moments when it's going to be required than it does a we'll take what we can get situation. A uh, quick update here. We have an opening drive touchdown for the Bengals and they have just gone up seven to nothing behind Joe Mixon just absolutely powering his way into the end zone. We'll keep you updated that on that as it happens. Sarah, I agree with everything you just said. The one thing that, that really hits me though is that Steve Nash is setting up expectations for what this Nets team is. And while he may not care, he doesn't particularly need Ben Simmons to shoot much, if, if at all. He just needs Ben Simmons to come out and play a very particular role for them. They'll get their scoring from elsewhere. So I do like him coming out and saying, hey, I don't care if he shoots, because what he's doing is sending a message to his guy, that's not what we're going to judge you by. So I think there mm -hmm. is some some power there. Real quick, we're going to squeeze in one more. Got a prom promo. It's the NWSL final weekend, Sarah. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? I am terrified because my Red Stars, who were sitting in sixth, for weeks and weeks and weeks, which is, by the way, the final spot that makes the postseason, have now dropped to seven. And they need a win on Sunday and a North Carolina loss or draw. There are four teams competing for the final two spots. It's going to come down to the last game of the weekend. I'm terrified. I'm terrified for you. Now I'm terrified for social media. Don't add her unless it's positive. All right, right. we're going to get to a huge story with Brett Favre. We'll break it down with an expert next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, letting that Dua Lipa breathe a little bit. Dua Lipa and Trevor Noah, huh? Interesting. I like it. Cute kids, good accents. I mean, I don't need to rush them along. They can take their time, but I'm here for it. I feel good about it. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we'll keep you updated on Thursday Night Football. ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. But now we're going to go a different direction with our football conversation. Senior NFL writer for The Athletic, Kaylin Kaler, is going to join us now to talk about her reporting alongside Katie Strang on the latest in the Brett Favre saga. Kaylin, I mean, first of all, thanks for joining us and thanks for this incredible reporting. We thought we had seen it all probably a year ago when we first heard about some potential payments yeah. for speeches then it became much worse with funds meant for the, the the poorest members of the state being diverted instead to Favre's alma mater and where his daughter was playing volleyball and now the latest reporting from you and Katie has to do with his charity give everyone who hasn't seen this part of the story a quick update on what yep. you discovered yeah thanks for having me guys first of all um so what we found um we took a look at 
his, his charity is called Far for Hope. We took a look at the task forms, which are publicly available, you know, reporting tip to the audience. If you're ever interested in looking at where a charity is donating its money, you can easily find that online. Uh, so we, we took a look at uh, the form. It's called the 990, the task forms of his charity. And we looked at, you know, every year that was available, which was up until uh, 2001, I believe, was the first available year. And what we noticed was, um, you know, a, a, an interesting pattern where from 2018 to 2020, um, his his charity, which has a stated uh, mission statement of uh donating of uh, helping charities donating money to charities that serve disadvantaged children and also breast cancer patients in wisconsin mississippi and minnesota um the states that he played that's the mission but we found some pretty significant donations to the usm athletics fund usm is obviously southern mississippi which is um the place at the center of this welfare scandal where um you know he was involved in diverting funds that were meant for welfare towards the building of a new volleyball facility there. So in the same years that that is going on, um, from 2018 to 2020, uh, Brett Favre's charity, Far for Hope, donated more than $130,000 to the USM Athletic Foundation. Mm. And we don't know what that money was spent on because USM obviously did not get back to us. They did not answer our questions. We, we It was just crickets from them. We never heard anything from them. So we, we don't know where that money went at USM, but we talked to some experts in the nonprofit space, and all of them, you know, raised an eyebrow about how that would fit with the mission statement of his charity, which is, as I stated before, to help disadvantaged children and breast cancer patients. Um, so, so again, we don't know where that money went to at USM Athletics, but it is interesting that during the same time frame, of Favre, you know, meeting with Nancy New, who was the director of a nonprofit, and the governor, then governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, um, to have conversations about how they can fund this volleyball center, diverting welfare funds to that. At the same time, his charity is making larger Mm -hmm. donations than they had made in any previous year to USM Athletic Foundation. And the donations were also the largest donations in those years. They were larger than any other charities that the foundation gave to in those years. So that's what we found. And we also found in 2015, uh, Farb's charity donated $50,000 to Oak Grove High School Booster Club, Athletics Booster Club. And that was specifically for the building of a volleyball facility at that high school, which is also where his daughter played volleyball. Hmm. We're talking to Caitlin Kaler, senior NFL writer for The Athletic. So, I mean, this is all incredible information that we're trying to wrap our heads around. The question is, is this all illegal? Have we been able to have a sense on, on in this particular portion of it, have laws been broken? So it's it's a gray area, to be honest. Um, and we knew when we saw this on the task forms, we knew we likely weren't going to be able to, you know, uh, say outright, oh, this is illegal, or, oh, he's definitely going to face consequences for this, because, it's a gray area where, you know, charities, their mission statements will often change. It can change from year to year um, based off of, you know, the board and where they decide to donate to. But, uh, and as I said, we don't know exactly where the money that he don't, that his, his charity, his foundation going to USM Athletics, we don't know exactly how they used it. You know, if they, if they used it for need-based athletic scholarships, let's say, 
I mean, I guess you could say that might fit into the mission statement, but then you can ask the question of, well, are college kids children? Um, you know, it, it's it's a gray area. But I do think it opens it up to a potential audit. Um, I mean, the IRS audits charities all the time, and they, they, they look at things like this where, um, you know, there is a connection to a certain place. And, and particularly with everything going on in the background here with the welfare scandal, which is obviously the most important part of this story, um, you know, the people of Mississippi, as you guys mentioned earlier, uh, you know, getting totally taken advantage of here by the funds going to a volleyball center. I mean, that's still the main headline here. What our story did, I think, is it just establishes a pattern of possible, you know, misleading, far misleading and and sort of a pattern of deception where, you know, the, the money that is donated. So one thing I want to point out, too, is that Far For Hope, it's not a private foundation. A lot of people on Twitter, I was looking at the mentions, they're saying, well, what's the big deal? Why can't Brett Favre just decide where his charity donates? The charity is named after him. Well, that's not how it works if it's not a private foundation. If it was a private foundation, that's absolutely true. Brett would be personally funding it, and he could decide where his money went. That's 100% true. But this is not, Far For Hope is not a private foundation. It's a 501c3 with a board of directors, meaning the board of directors is voting, and it's that way for a reason because they don't want um, someone to be using it as a personal piggy bank. That's not what a charity is. Right. So, Especially if you're telling people who are giving money to that charity that it's going to cancer patients and needy children. Right. Exactly. And the key to exactly. this, and I think is, is so disturbing to so many people, whether or not all of the things that he's done can legally be uh, something that he's held accountable for is just the idea that someone who's made over a hundred million dollars in his lifetime would knowingly, and that's what we know about the mm -hmm. texts in the welfare scandal for sure, would knowingly be diverting money that is being uh, uh, intended for welfare um, uh, recipients in the state to a volleyball facility that he could either pay for and or just use his fame to, to encourage booster right. money to be given for. Like, there are so many other ways that it, even if the I, and there's not a, a universe in which a volleyball stadium would be more important than welfare recipients. But I think that's part of it is this isn't even just an underhanded move by someone who wanted a, a volleyball facility. It's an extremely rich person who did this. Right. Right. And I think that is really why it's like so offensive to, to so many people. And that is the main question. Like, why would he not just pay for this himself? And, you know, I know he's had a lot of investments in different, um, mostly failed medical startups, mm -hmm. uh, such as the one called Prevacus, which was that concussion treatment nose spray that he was also, that was also part of this whole scandal too, that he was kind of lobbying the governor uh, for support for that as well and giving out stock him and the founder of that were giving out stock options but so you know i mean i guess it's possible that he is not in a great financial place because of failed investments but even so it's it's wild to think about that and i will say one more thing as far as like you know could he face any consequences consequences for this um charity aspect of it so this is um you know the state um, attorney general would be the person who would investigate this if they wanted to. So um, since they are already looking into the welfare scandal, 
who knows, this may also rise to their attention and they may take a look at it then too. Um, But, you know, it's too early to say if they'll do that or not. But if he was like the case would be if if there is an event that he had, for example, where he's saying, okay, well, the money for this is specifically going to breast cancer patients and it's also specifically going to uh, disadvantaged children. And then, you know, you can trace the donors. Well, then that is that would be fraud. And in the most extreme cases of fraud, you know, they would they would start investigating that. So it's too early to say, but, you know, it could lead to something. Awesome reporting, Kaylin. Thanks so much for giving us the time as well. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Yeah, thanks, guys. Kaylin Kaler, senior NFL writer for The Athletic. You can follow her at Kaylin Kaler as they uh, continue reporting her alongside Katie String. We have some sound if you've got it, Devin, because the Mississippi State Auditor Shad White was actually on ESPN Daily today and was asked specifically by Pablo you know, what could possibly come of this? Would there be potential for legal ramifications? And obviously there are multiple things Fitz involved here. There's the issue with the welfare money. There's the issue with the speeches he never gave. And now there's the issue with the charity. Here was the answer that the state auditor Shad White gave to that. Any good defense lawyer would love for for me to start speculating about the likelihood of that. And, And what I would say is that the prosecutor's have a ton of information in front of them. They're going to get to make their decisions about that. And and rather than prejudge the case or or discuss anything like that, really the decision needs to be on them. And then and then once they make a decision, if they decide to indict individual X, uh, you know what they're trying to do is obtain uh, an unbiased jury of that individual's peers who can hear the case out. So really, what the public needs to know is that the flow of funds has stopped that the information that is being gathered is is being put in front of these prosecutors and, and they're going to have to make the decision now about where to go with it. So Fitz, what he's saying essentially is I don't want to taint the jury pool by offering up things now that could later be used to recuse them and to do anything that might give information or otherwise help a defense in this. And the end, I think, was the important part, right? We've managed to stop the flow of money to the things that he's trying to funnel it to. And now we leave it to a lot of the people who are speaking out, who he was involved with. That's how those text messages came out. People who was making deals with that have since decided to take lesser uh, potential uh, fines or legal issues by speaking. Uh, and so that is where we're at with uh, Brett Favre and how this all might shake out. Uh, tune into it at Elise Battle. Saturday night as the Braves host the Mets, pre- presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up. Got to get our picks in for the NFL weekend. Five pick Friday, a day early. Next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Judge, batazo, profundo por el izquierdo. Olvídala, esa se va, se va, se fue. La número 61 se fue. Profundo, profundo, deep. That's what it means. Deep, it's deep, profundo. I didn't know that, but now I feel like I'm going to scream that all Sunday when I watch the Raiders game. That was WADO on the call of Aaron Judge's spectacular 61st home run. I was actually sitting in the conference room, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, sitting on the uh, sitting in the conference room at ESPN, uh, listening to Sports Center on Snapchat, and we're like in a very isolated place as we're writing scripts and getting ready for the show. And all of a sudden, you heard this yell, and because of the world we live in. All I heard was like, we thought we were on the floor by ourselves. And you you heard a yell of somebody that sounded like they were dying. My immediate thought was like, oh, my God, are we all okay? Is the world safe? Like, is there a problem in the basement? 
And then we were all looking at each other in the conference room. We're like, are any of us going to walk out? What could have possibly happened? And I was like, ah, I think Aaron Judge might have just set the record. You could hear people yelling from above us, from a floor above. You could hear people yelling. So I I get the excitement. If only one of them had yelled, profundo, you might have known what was going on. We did ask earlier, because if you didn't see that, uh, Aaron Judge's 61st went out. A man named Frankie Lasagna. And by all accounts, that is his actual name. Frankie Lasagna brought his mitt to the old ballpark, leaned over and missed by millimeters that ball number 61. It went to the bullpen instead. No one gets it. And we asked if you've ever been this close to history like that. And we got a couple good ones at Harris Vince had a chance to see one of my favorite bands, Pink Floyd live at death Valley in Clemson in the mid nineties. I said, I'll catch them next time. They never toured again. Jamie Reedy had a ticket to grateful dead at soldier field Sunday, July 9th, 95. It was hot and humid. I was tired from army reserves duty. Now I'll catch them next time they're in town. Jerry died a month later. I skipped their very last show. Oh my God. Kofaro bet GMGM, a close friend in high school, had Nirvana tickets. She got in trouble so her parents wouldn't let her go. Turns out it was their last tour ever. My sister had tickets to the Guns N' Roses show where Axel had to skip town just before the show because he was wanted on a warrant for his arrest. She never got to see him. Mm. Uh, well, until recently, which doesn't really count. At Hot Z Ham and Cheese, I left the Phoenix open early and I missed Tiger's Ace. Oh, oh. A hole in one at the Phoenix open and he missed it. And finally, Seabarone won. When I was eight, we were visiting family in New York before school started. I'd never been to Yankee Stadium. We were supposed to go before we drove back to Toronto. My dad got an offer and sold the tickets. Jim Abbott was pitching. The visitors were not hitting. That's right. No hitter. Missed. Uh, Those are pretty good, guys. I was almost at the strip club where Pac-Man Jones shot the dude uh, in Vegas during the NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, but thankfully I went to the buffet instead. It was very hungry at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. Uh, I, and I missed, uh, I missed the strip club. I got, I got nothing. I, I, I did skip a Prince concert because I had just gotten off of a long road oh, no. run and I, no. I, I, I got off the road and everybody was like, gotta go to Prince. And I was like, eh, my ears are tired from playing too much. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And then, uh, it turned out he never went to Nashville again. And that's like a legendary concert where he played oh. every instrument and went off. So yeah, I missed Prince, but you know, that's... I saw Prince at city winery to a crowd of 300 people. He had 20 people on stage with him for a room that small. Mm. And it was about five months before he passed. It was mm. pretty incredible. <sighs> Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz. If, uh, yeah almost this close to history. Maybe we'll keep this going next week. Uh, we got to do our pick We're running out of time. Let's do it. It's a team, man. It's a team. One guy can't do it. It takes all of us. ESPN Radio's Pick'em Challenge. The standings after week three aren't great for us. We are at four and five alongside uh, Carlin and Canty and Barton Hahn. KJM in the basement at three and six. Freddie Fitzsimmons up top at six and three, and Greeny at five and four. So they're they're there's they're within reach, Fitz. If we have a good week, and I'm picking, so I'm saying there's a chance. R- real quick, speaking of picks, Tua just threw one. That's all. Oh. That's the update. There's your pick'em challenge. He's up for the pick'em challenge. Apparently, threw a pick to the Bengals. There you go. He wants to be a part of it. All right, the first game we're hitting up is Bills Ravens. Bills at Ravens. That's right. It's minus three for the Bills. We do have to pick these against the spread. 
Fitz, uh, we talked about this earlier. This is a really tremendous matchup, but I think the difference is going to come down to defense. Bills defense overall number one, Ravens 32. This is a team who gives up a ton of yardage, and Josh Allen is going to feast while Lamar Jackson will be fine but will not be able to do the damage that he's done in weeks past. I'm taking the bills and the points. Yeah, I, I think you're making the right pick. I mean, the Ravens are counting on Lamar Jackson to get in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Well but even done. if he is in the zone, it won't be enough. Josh Allen will be too much. I think you're making the right pick so far. We All right, agree. next one. Chiefs and Buccaneers. Yeah, this is minus one for the Chiefs. And as much as I think Tom Brady and company are going to start to figure things out, especially if he gets back Mike Evans and potentially Godwin and Jones, I still think this is the Chiefs team that's going to be bouncing back hard after a catastrophic loss to the Colts. I've got Casey in the points. I think you're right on this, but I think this is going to be one of the more telling games we'll look at for the rest of the year. Is there a new blueprint on what teams are going to do against the Chiefs? How do the Bucks defend them? It's going to be really interesting. I think the Bucks defense will be up for the challenge here. I just don't I don't trust their offense to score right. at all. So exactly. yeah, I think the Chiefs win by default. So so far we agree. All right, last game of the pick'em. Jaguars at Eagles. So minus six and a half for an Eagles team that's looked fantastic, but this is a surprising Jaguars team that comes in hot. Sixth in overall offense, seventh in overall defense. Trevor Lawrence has been fantastic. The difference here to me will be the Philadelphia D-line getting to Lawrence. He hasn't been sacked in two weeks. He hasn't been barely touched at all. I think it's going to be a tougher day for him. I've got the Eagles and the points minus six and a half. I think it's a good call. We agree on all of them. Wow. Okay, I'm in trouble. All right, we got to do Bears, Giants, Broncos, Raiders. The Bears are not a good football team. Justin Fields did not look good in that win the other day against the Texans. The Giants seem to have a bit more going for them, although, I don't know, uh, 30 seconds. I'm going to take the Bears because they haven't let me down yet in picks. I'm taking the Giants. We finally disagree now. All be right, nice. What about the Raiders? The Raiders are covering against the Broncos. I'll be there at Allegiant. Let's go, baby. I'm taking the Broncos. Screw oh, your son Raiders. Of a biscuit. They Son of a biscuit. <laughs> the entire Raiders team is going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons to explain why in the hell Fitz could possibly believe in them after an 0 3 start. Not very good. Explain yourselves. Next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.